1: You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. (laughs)
2: <laughs> okay, one thing the game
3: needs is more people like you, you, you. Still have pro-man run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. This is Daniel Bard. This is Steve Aoki. Jared This is Brock Holt.
0: Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball. Is baseball. Baseball isn't boring.
3: Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford.
2: All right, baseball isn't boring, and I know that every single time that I listen to this guy, Boo I'm, I'm not just saying this, boo. Like, I've said this, I think I've said it to you, but I always thought that the the preeminent or the best broadcast that I had heard on the radio for the last few years um, before you went to the Cubs when you were doing, like, ES, do you still do ESPN Sunday night games? Okay. Uh, about half of them. Okay, about, so you and Chris Singleton, um, I said, as a connoisseur, of the art of, uh, of radio broadcasting, where I'd say I fill my head with information, I blurt it out. But I do feel it. I do, I've always found it fascinating how this has evolved. And I just felt like when I listened to you guys, you guys hit the sweet spot. You guys do it right. Um, so we'll get to that in a second. But I just want, first of all, how are you? Thank you. I'm good. How you doing? <laughs> good, good. I know you're coming off. So like, as I just told you, I, there's two things I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about uh two things I'm very passionate about right now. And that is broadcasting in the Cubs. I yeah. uh I uh we had Pedro Grafal on the podcast and he had me all fired up for the White Sox now and we had David Ross on, but honestly, Boogie, you know, you know, Rossi, you worked with him, you, you you call us games and everything else. Um, this was right before free agents were starting was starting. So I'm like, okay, go get him. go do your recruiting thing. First of all, I, th- I guess that's where I'll start. How do you think that Rossi is as a recruiter? What does that look like? I mean, I think his, you know, his
3: reputation precedes him. So I think as a player, you know, he's, he's, he had a, probably accumulated a fair amount of street credit and i don't think that that's changed as as a manager he's charming he's also direct and honest in a way that i think that most of the people around him appreciated. and so i you know i don't know in those spots how much of a factor recruiting actually is you know the way it ultimately you know plays out is most of these guys just in the end, end up taking whatever the you know the highest dollar amount it's is. True, right? so yeah, it's true. It's, it's a funny thing where I mean, to the point where it's weird if a guy's you know a guy'll he he wants to play in X place and he'll take six million dollars total more. Uh, from another place and it's like what in the vast scheme of things, what's the six million dollars doing for you? I mean when we're talking about 140 million, you know what I mean like so um, I, look, if anybody is gonna be good at it, David is gonna be good at it would be my thought.
2: So and you're so right. We hear about like tax breaks and everything else. We're like, okay, well, it's a million, but is it worth it? You know, in, in, in the right. grand scheme of things. But I think that, and I'm glad you said this. And this isn't sort of where I was planning on going with the whole recruiting talk, but it's, I find it interesting. We had our good friend on Joe Kelly and right before free agency started, and we we're talking about this. And he said, like, it's outdated. It's archaic. This isn't college. And, you know, right. I think that he, I think that we've since then, we've had other people come on and agree with him, say exactly what you said. Usually it's about the money. Sure, it might be somewhat about where you're going to go. But it's, I I think that when it comes to David Ross, I think this is where it it worked for him because he's not worried about putting something up in the Jumbotron. He's not like doing the college basketball, college football thing. He's just David Ross.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. You know? Yeah, he's just being himself. There's no question. It comes, it comes naturally. And but again, I I agree with Joe. I mean, I would uh, you know to, back at the same topic. I I would say, in my opinion, I think that players get it wrong at times. Like go where you go where you want to go. Like if you you want to be happiest, like go where you want to go. Go to the location if it's that. Go to a place where you think gives you the best chance to win because. Getting your butt kicked in a city that you don't like, for, you know, and taking the money—it's uh, uh, you know, tons of guys have found out it's it's not all it's cracked up to be. No,
2: I got it. We, I, we both probably have examples. I mean, for around here where where I'm at in Boston, you know, the the one that jumps out is Carl Crawford. I mean, Carl Crawford was right. like. I mean, how does he he's like, How do I turn down forty million dollars more? Well, okay, I get it, but you're gonna be miserable. But it is plenty of examples. Yep. But it seems yep. like it seems like the the event and we only I only get I wasn't there, but you were there. What was it called? It was, yeah, the, got, uh, it was called Cubs um uh, uh I want to oh, say Comic-Con. It
3: no, it's it's Cubs Con, Cubs Convention is what it is. So okay. there's uh an opening ceremony and they sing the national anthem and uh, autographs and panels. Um, yeah, it's, it's wall to wall with former Cubs and hall of famers and all sorts of stuff. It's, it's in one building at the Sheridan, and it is amazing. It's just, and the minor leagues are there as well. It is just wall to wall Cubs.
2: And, and that's the thing to come back to sort of wanting to be there. the The images that I see and and you know this better than any place, the cup playing at at Wrigley Field, playing with the Cubs, even when you're not that good to hear that song after end of the wins and to have be in that environment and all that stuff, it's so different. It's such a it should be such a draw. And now you're getting kind of good now you're getting players and it must have been that vibe there it sure looked like there was a lot of smiles on the faces and maybe a dramatically different sort of vibe than there was probably even then a year ago right
3: yeah i i mean again it's it's the transition from the 16 championship team and then some disappointment that they weren't able to win it again those players moving on and there was you know there there was difficult periods because you know as fans are want to do. They didn't just want the Cubs to win again. They wanted them to win again with Bryant, Baez, and Rizzo. You know, they wanted the, they wanted you two to make the Joshua Tree again. They wanted the band to stay together. <laughs> and I get it, but it's just not realistic, you know? And ultimately, it's a funny thing, man. I I think that if you asked the average Cubs fan, they still would have preferred... For Baez, Bryant, and Rizzo to be signed to massive extensions, (laughs) even though it's been proven that management did the right thing as it relates to not doing it. I mean, I think Riz, from the value standpoint, would be the one you'd make the case for, but yeah it's just it's one of those weird things and as far as the fan base it's an incredible fan base Mm -hmm. it's an absolutely incredible fan base it's you know last year they played much better in the second half but they're playing in late august and september against the pirates and there's thirty five thousand people there it's it's different it's different
2: so what's the what was the biggest takeaway you had from before i get to my analysis from afar Of this team and how it's constructed what was your biggest takeaway when you walked out of that building said oh man you know that guy was impressive or this this was interesting was there anything that because we have we see a lot of teams do this sort of thing and usually there's something which sort of thing oh there's sort of like um, thing yeah, like for the Red Sox it's called winter weekend you know so right. yeah, yeah. I mean not I shouldn't say a lot of teams but some teams do it sometimes like something yeah. the Marlins they do a the, fan fest
3: yeah no the yeah. Marlins do a fan fest. right but kids. I just
2: saw the Marlins one that no one showed up so uh but um Shocker. but yeah but so what was the thing that you like you walked out of the building like okay I this is this was interesting or I got a good vibe from this or whatever was there anything?
3: I think the one thing that I would say that I took away from it is, is something you alluded to is the guys like Ty Young, Swanson Bellinger were really excited to be there. Like there was a real vibe of this is going to be cool playing for this team. I think that's what I, that's really what I, what I took away. Um, so, and I would say the fans were, were jazzed up. I was taking it in for the first time. This will be my third year, but it was the first time I'd been at a, a Cubs convention. So I'd heard about it, but I hadn't experienced it. And it was uh it was intense. There were I just didn't I, I couldn't really wrap my head around how many fans were there and you know, in this massive ballroom, um, all these paneled Shows, et cetera. And it was, you know, multiple floors. It was pretty incredible.
2: So when I look at this team, you know, obviously you have, like you said, you had to turn things over, which is always uncomfortable because you're going to have to go yeah. through growing pains. But now you get to the point, there's that point where you're like, you have the base, you have enough experience from the young guys. Now you can bring in some of these guys who, Maybe a one or two year contract, but they're not only going to you hope for the best on the field. You know they're going to have an impact off the field, on the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. Mancini, Bellinger, yeah. um, some Osmer. of these Hosmer, Hos, Oh my goodness! So when I looked at when I look at this roster, that's what jumps out to me, Boo. Like that's what mm-hmm. jumps out to me is these guys, and and Hosmer is the perfect example. Holy mackerel! You want to talk about people singing praises about a guy in the clubhouse? It's that yes. guy. Right So yeah. I mean, this so that seems like that it's built that way, built pretty well that way, right?
3: So I mean, you start you start with Haas. I mean, you just will not find a guy that teammates seem to unanimously say that dude, I like him on my team. And he's good in our room. It, he just whether whether the production's off the charts or not off. He 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 has garnered a reputation as a guy to follow. Period. Um, I think Dansby Swanson. You know, I mean, think about what he did. It's not like the Braves weren't interested in him. He grew up in Atlanta. Um, he played for the hometown team. He won a World Series there. And he made the choice. He wanted to be in Chicago. I mean, he's, you know, he told a cool story at the press conference about his grandfather being a a Cubs fan and, you know, always having WGN on. But I would say that, you know, Dansby's a guy whose leadership qualities have grown as, uh, you know, as he has grown as a player and as he's matured. And he pretty clearly wanted to be the face of this franchise. So, I think in the overall, there's there's some excitement. I, I would view it as this. I think that they look at 24 and really even 25 as, you know, if we're having this conversation before 25, that they're going to be sitting there saying, we think we have a chance to go deep in a playoff. Um, but they've, they've retooled their farm system to the degree that they have all these lottery tickets and maybe some of these players who look like they're going to be pretty good end up being dudes and they pop, but they have, a, they have w- way more lottery tickets than most teams do. And so I think that what their I- intention is would be to start creating that clubhouse and that runway of that culture um, towards 23, 24, 25.
2: So when you look at when you talk about them popping in twenty four and twenty five, what who are the guys? Name a couple of guys who, where you feel like, along with these these guys on the periphery. Like, let's assume that Swans is going to be solid. Let's assume right. um, you know even guys like who knows maybe Hosmer and you get the best of Hosmer. You get right. the best on the field. Hosmer, Bellinger, right. you get the best of these guys. Stroman. Who are the guys right. that are going to have to pop and say? Yeah. Those, so the next those the are all stars. Right. So it's
3: it's a guy like Pete Crow Armstrong, who was a former first-round pick of the mm-hmm. Mets, and they got in the Baez trade, who a lot of people think is probably the best defensive outfielder in the minors right now and would play close to a gold-glove caliber center field in the majors right
2: now. And by the um, way, Boog, who I interviewed, about the very the very interesting topic of his mother being the actress in Little Big League. Yep. Yeah. She, she was the mom. That's all I listen to. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm interested in, yeah. but this, that's classic. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go He's, ahead.
3: I mean, I think they're excited about him as, you know, as eventually being their center fielder. And then you have guys like Brennan Davis, who was the, you know, the Futures game MVP when he hit a couple of homers, but dealt with back problems last year. Um, you know, Christian Hernandez at shortstop, you know, and then pitching wise, they have. Guys, uh, you know, guys like um, Daniel Palencia, guys like Caleb Killian, who we saw last year, but also DJ Hers, um, Jensen, Wicks. Like, uh, yeah, there, there's, and I think that what it ends up being, and then, you know, look, they made trades for Rizzo and for Brian and got guys like Canario, Alcantara. Those guys are, you know, massive talents. It There's there's a ton of them. It's just a matter of, like, who's actually going to hit. I mean, I think they feel good that, that Pete Crow Armstrong is going to be here, you know, at the latest in 24. Um, I, I think they're – yeah, they're excited about the talent level that they have.
2: Yeah, well, that's, that's – I mean, it's also good that, that you have the chance of winning. I mean, any bridge year, quote-unquote bridge year – you want to have yeah. still yeah. I mean, this isn't like a division that's going to blow you away. I don't think. No, absolutely not. No, no. Um, yeah. All right. Well, listen, you got me fired up for the Cubs. I don't know if it's at the level <laughs> Pedro Grafal got for the White Sox, but who who uh, I I can't even ask you. Like, I was going to ask who has more wins, the Cubs or White Sox, but well, that's not fair. You you contract, contractually it yeah, to one team and not the other, so yeah. <laughs> so,
3: I love but, Pedro though. Good. Good dude. I mean, I can remember watching him play when he was at Florida State back in the day. Really? He, he was teammates with Eduardo Perez. I think Doug Mankavich was on his team back then. But you know, a guy who's he's been around a lot of good baseball people in in Kansas City. He's good baseball mind. Um, I like Pedro a lot. I wish him. I wish him well with that wasn't
2: Florida State. Wasn't that was the they weren't in the ACC with BC then?
3: No, no, no. This was this was pre. Uh, yeah, this is many moons ago.
2: But did you, uh, you were out when the David Gordon kick, right? The, for Notre Dame. I BC. had just
3: gotten out. I had just gotten out. Um, and I was living with Bob with in uh, in Miami. And that kick, the call of the kick was, was our outgoing message on our, <laughs> on our answer <laughs> mission. <machine>. That's true. <laughs> yeah.
2: And in case people don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about when, Boog went to Boston College, and Boston yes. College had this enormous uh, upset of Notre Dame at Notre Dame. The year after that Notre Dame just waxed Boston College in a game, of The probably the most noteworthy thing about that game before the upset, the year before, was that they filmed Rudy at halftime of that game. So Yeah, that's right.
3: Yeah. And then the other part about that kick was the week before Notre Dame had beaten Charlie Ward and Florida State. Right. And they were probably in the driver's seat for the national title. And then BC knocked them out. So when when we left, it was that was the big football win. And then the group with Isley, Huckabee, and Curley went to the final eight and knocked off the defending national champs, North Carolina, in uh, – in the second round of the NCAA tournament.
2: Those were the days, man. Those were the yeah, days. Yeah, way back. The where the Boston papers covered them, it was crazy. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, all right, well, morphing from uh, the Cubs to Boston College where you get your education for to uh, to be the broadcaster that you are today to the actually art of broadcasting. It's one of my favorite topics because I say this about all media, boot, is everything that we knew – certainly like 10 years ago, probably five years ago, probably realistically, even before the pandemic, we have to take a look and say, how has things changed? How have attention spans changed? How are things delivering change? And so before I sort of give my take or my observations, I just want to hear how, how you think in the last few years, if it has changed at all, how that you have to deliver things any different? Maybe you don't, but like, or how you, and obviously social media is probably part of this as well, but how do you view it now uh, and where it's going compared to maybe five years ago?
3: I think that you're continuing to do stuff game broadcasting wise. I think this applies more to TV where there is stuff that is more about short attention span theater and trying to cover things to keep people engaged if the game isn't in that moment interesting enough. I think that that's one of the things that you do see. Maybe, uh, yeah, and I think, and so I think that there's also an aspect of, again, being a little like a talk show over the top of a game that can sort of, sprinkle in a little bit just in case you know people aren't as engaged on the next play the next play the next play i think that that's and you look you're you're never going to please a hundred percent of the audience and certainly some people just want you to sit there and just go here's the one two fouled back (laughs) you know what i mean like they don't want you to talk about the fact that changing the rules next year or that they're checking for sticky stuff or discussing something that happened in another game. Um, You're not going to be able to please everybody. I mean, I think that in the end, you know, you, you come from a writing background, but ultimately what we are doing as broadcasters is we are making content decisions constantly. We are making the choice of what we are going to talk about next. We're documenting what's happening, but in terms of, you know, what path are we going to go down? What am I going to tee my partner up on? I get to choose it. And so part of I, I you know, I don't think it gets talked about it enough, but part of what makes most broadcasters good is a confidence in judgment in terms of, yeah, I feel like I have a handle on what is interesting for the audience.
2: It- and when I talked at the beginning of the podcast about how much I admire the way that you guys do it, I truly believe it. I, I have tweets to prove it because I think I, I find myself and I usually I don't really tweet about broadcasts because like, to be honest with you, most of the time, and the only time you want to tweet about a broadcast, it's not going to be good. But I think you, yeah. guys, are, you guys are the way and I don't want to get in those crosshairs because I know how broadcasters are, you know, so for the most part, but for you guys, I've tweeted multiple times, like, man, this is good. This is really good. And the reason why I do that is because exactly what you said. I think that you guys are able to sort of bob and weave your way through the conversational uh, tone of things, which I think, to me, is really, really important, more important than ever. And then really lean into when something important happens, leaning into the importance of it, and then breaking that down. And then maybe getting back into the conversational stuff, but I think that and in, in tell me if you if you agree or not. But I think maybe the way that some of the people, the old school way of doing it, or even some people who think they're doing it the right way, kind of coming out of school, they think uh, it's very formulaic, very formulaic. Right? We have to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, like no, it's it's okay. It's okay. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah.
3: Trust yourself. I, I will say this, and this is. I, like, I'll just, just in being honest, um, and this is, you know, not necessarily your, you know, your best uh, idea in terms of engaging your audience, but I will say that just if by being truthful, I, I don't think the audience is particularly discerning as it relates to broadcasters. I think broadcasters, by and large... They like it, it, we're like ice cream. You put it in your mouth and they decide, I like how it tastes, I don't like how it tastes. And that's kind of <laughs> it, man. And I don't, but like, I don't think the average person understands what the play by play guy's job is, understands really what the analyst's job is. I think if, like, do it this way if you were to ask 500 sports fans, and go down a list of is this a play by play guy or is this an analyst? I think you get 50-50 on correct and not correct. I mean, the amount of times I've had fans ask me, so when are you gonna do a game with Daniel O'Brien? Never, because he does the same job as me. You know what I'm saying? Like, or someone comes up to me and they're like, You're a great analyst. And I'm like, Thanks. Not an analyst. So I, again I you know it's a little and I and I would tie it to journalism. I just don't think people understand what they get frustrated with media. I don't think people understand journalism in a lot of instances. So not to be cranky guy, but I will say, I, you know, we <laughs> do our thing and, and I, I just, I don't think people completely understand what, you know, what the the job is in terms of documenting and why you do certain things, whether it's media or play by play or analysis. And I mean, what, the, my, my favorite example, I don't engage a ton on Twitter, but it, I think the best example of why social media is amazing, but also the psychology of social media, I would say 20 times a year I get a tweet from someone telling me that I said something that was incorrect. So they're correcting me and telling me to do my homework, to do my research on a game I'm not calling.
0: and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.
1: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
3: So now take that in for a second. They're doing the thing... They're accusing me of doing by not doing their homework. And there is also the psychology of it makes them feel good to correct somebody, even though it's not actually me that's doing that game. That's true. <laughs> well, I threw a it, lot at you there, I'm sorry.
2: No, 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 no. It's it's a couple things. Number one is that you're absolutely right comparing it to the writing thing. I mean, I could tweet a have a long tweet and they're like, Oh, that was a great column. What? Or like, or, you know, he really, or write like a, a basically uh, X team release this player. Oh, that was a great column. Well, it's not a column. Great right.
3: column. Yeah. Great that's column. Right.
2: Yeah. I mean, I really brought it home. <laughs> and, and so, um, but I think the, and the other thing is, is that when they don't know if you're an analyst or, you know, a play-by-play guy or whatever it is, that should be a compliment, man. Like, that's what I'm talking about is that. You know, I say this about with radio, with talk shows, being at uh, the radio station that, that I have been for as long as I have been, I've seen it. And these places obsess over the one chair. They obsess over the one chair, right? Well, the one chair has to talk as much as the two chair. And once you get in and out of the breaks, you're talking the same. And you better be entertaining because otherwise you're really leaning on the two chair, you know? And so, and that's why I like with you guys. It's like, yeah, you know, you're really good at calls and and the intricacies of, of, of describing things, but you're also really good at just talking. And I think that that's yeah, you want no, you want to be
3: interesting, and you gotta you gotta connect on on the things, and it's it's sort of trusting your your instinct and and going down paths and being willing to be playful, and maybe you're going to take the topic away from the game a tiny bit and have a little bit of fun. Um, I also would say, you know, one of the points I made is, especially baseball-wise, man, the job is different. I mean, whatever you want to say about the sport, but look, the amount of time between – and this year, hopefully it'll change, but the amount of time that it takes to play the game, the amount of time between pitches, and then the amount of time the ball is in play, it basically means it takes longer for less to happen. And so what that ends up mean, meaning is that there's more time for us to fill where there's no action. So it's an invitation to say dumb stuff. <laughs> so it's it's a challenge, but it's one that I welcome. And I, I love the sport so much. And I love, you know, the, the challenge of, of being asked to do it. It's just so much fun night in and night out because I'm genuinely interested in – what I'm watching and going to the ballpark and, and, um, or, t- you know, Tuesday night I'm doing Kansas at Kansas state. So I, it's, it's really cool though. You know, that that operates in a much smaller window, but yeah.
2: Do you like talking about this stuff? I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I love it. Do you? All right. I, so, I
3: mean. Yeah. Because it's like, I because there's also mechanical parts of it that I can dork out on that I love I like listening to to tapes for younger guys and, you know, giving them help in terms of that type of thing, especially on the radio. But I, I love it. I love, you know, learning, watching. I will say this. I think that there's a lot that you can do mechanically to alter yourself and get better and technically improve your timing so that your, your flow is good. But in the end, what you're really trying to do is take what you're like off the air and what you're like on the air, and you're really trying to make it as as close as possible. I think that, like, I had growth as a broadcaster, not physical growth. Oh, I had some physical growth as well, but I but not like growth as a broadcaster because I didn't and I didn't anticipate it. But I think that I really took a a step in my early forties. Cause I got just comfortable just being my authentic self on the air. Mm. And for the most part, the way I might play with you in the press box, I would make the same type of joke with thingy or Doug Glanville or Jim Deshaies or Rick Sutcliffe, et
2: cetera. I feel like, boo, like that's, that's where exactly where I feel so many people go wrong. And like, I feel stupid because I'm he's sitting here. I'm like, I'm the backup to the backup to the backup, whatever. I feel as I said a million times, I fill my head with information. I make sure I try to stop, not step over Joe or Will or whatever it mm-hmm. is. But I do find it fascinating. And, and I think that exactly what you said is where people get themselves, not in trouble because they get jobs, but this, it's okay to be yourself. It's okay. Yeah. And they feel like they have to be like sort of, you know, I, mean, I don't know. I mean, I didn't go to broadcasting school, so I don't know if they're telling you like you got to be do this. But I feel like so many young broadcasters feel like they have to have the voice inflection, have to have the 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 cookie cutter thing instead of just being like being themselves.
3: Yes, and I think I think that we're probably most guilty of it in baseball because we all have this thought in our head. And so the thing you're fighting without even realizing it is, yeah, everybody, the problem becomes when, yeah, everybody that starts, you're 24 years old, and everybody's trying to sound like a 65-year-old white guy. (laughs) And you're using phrases, and you're using phrases that you don't use in everyday life. So I, I encourage guys to speak a little bit more the way you speak uh, and, and try and you're, it's okay to be casual. It was more formal in the fifties. The fifties were more formal. Uh, So I I think you have to find your happy spot, but I think that, you you know, that's how you start. You start by, by sort of impersonating what you've heard and then you find your way is kind of what what really ends up happening.
2: How how has it been um, with sort of doing a – you've done team full-time, right, where you get dropped in with ESPN compared to doing the full-time thing? And um, that must be a little bit different.
3: Well, so I've done it before. I just hadn't done it in a long time. I hadn't done the everyday thing. And there are a couple things. Number one, the guy before me, Len Casper, is – Excellent. And he was there for 16 years and people don't like change, you know, and baseball, the people you have locked in, they're just used to hearing the guy and he, you know, broadcasted over the greatest stretch of Cubs baseball in the history of the franchise, saw them do something that they, you know, hadn't done since 1908. Red Sox fans can connect on that. So You know, for me, the one part about ESPN was that I covered that Cubs team a lot, Mm. 15 to 20. I mean, I would say I would have them 15 times a year. So I knew Hendricks, Rizzo, Arrieta, Lester, Ross, uh, Bryant, Baez, Hayward, all the Like, I knew them all. So I knew the arc of the story pretty well. But I would also say that I didn't try and come in and be – I wasn't gonna come in and try and and talk about uh Tinkers to Evers to Chance or talk <laughs> about or talk about deep dish pizza or try and be <laughs> Chicago expert guy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It, it just, it's just one of those things where you just sort of try and let it happen um and not try and fake your way into you know, I am of Chicago. I grew up in, in New York City, you know, I, but I, I've i always appreciated coming here. So I I think that I, I just kind of have laid back a little bit, and I've appreciated it so much. I mean, look, I think there are aspects. I still remember Gene Wojciechowski wrote something that I think is, is – and I'm going to paraphrase it, but I think that there are similarities between the Cubs – Fan base and a Red Sox fan base. I do. I just. Th- I think that it's there's a, there's a fatalistic part of it, which is especially funny for the Red Sox since they won four times. Yeah. Since the, you know, I mean, it's it's. I mean, it's a pretty good amount of success. But there is a passion that is you know really unrivaled, and it most places the passion is reflective of the record and. I know that it shifted a bit in Boston because of the Patriots' success, but, I mean, you're still talking about a passion for a team and a fan base. And, so, you know, in Boston, it's that, it's, you know, that entire section. It's not just Massachusetts. Massachusetts, Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire, um, the northern part of Connecticut. I, you know, so you you draw in so many places, and then the same thing with the Cubs. But what G. Wojciechowski said is, they're very similar fan bases. Um the Cubs fan base is, you know, the passion is wrapped in Bunny Rabbit's feet and the Red Sox fan base is wrapped in razor blades. Um <laughs> That's pretty good. I on. think there's some there's there's something to it. I mean, don't kid yourself. Cubs fans are super passionate, but I I love both fan bases because I love how much they love it. Yeah, well, how
2: much I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that you know, they're all subtly different, but the passion is the one thing. Like, I go to like St. Louis. I remember it was—I think it was the All-Star Game, maybe. It was like the, when it was actually counted, meant something. And the Cardinals were obviously a really good team, and you're know, playing for home field advantage. And the American League team probably pulled it out, and everyone's like, "Oh, just I—I got the the vibe of." Oh, no, the great game of baseball was a real winner today. I'm like, okay. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, so there's, but there's, I love how much they like it here, and I love how much they, you know, they like it there. I'm, you know, I'm in on that just when there's that, that level of, that level of passion. It's, uh, it's just really special. I I feel so lucky to, to have the job and to do, you know, I, one of the things I think is getting to do Friday home games. You know, it's it's just one of those things where from working in the game, if you're in a big league clubhouse on Friday afternoon and the Cubs are at home, that game's on.
1: You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> yeah. it, it's
3: it's on in every clubhouse. Yep. So yep. Just there's something about it and and I just I've gotten to connect with fans. I mean, CubsCon was cool because I got to, you know, just meet so many people and people it's just so personal. I mean, you can relate on that. I mean, it's oh, the same yeah, thing, the Red Sox side, It's like, right? it's and, and
2: I tell you what, I I went to the series when the Red Sox came to Wrigley this summer. Um, I'll go there again, and you know my my wife, she was she said she oh, she's never been to Chicago. I want oh, Chicago so great. Chicago so great. You got to. So we did this thing, this Hall of Fame ballot reveal, um, with DB Sweeney, uh, where he reenacted Shoeless Joe Jackson. So we like come with me. You know, we'll go to Chicago. We'll go to this cornfield in Naperville. And uh, she held up the cue cards and it was like, oh, that was fun. But then now we're going to tour Chicago. I'm like, oh, Chicago is a little different in, in five-degree weather compared to s- summer. So, But it's motivation, man. We're, it's it's so yeah. such a great town. Such a great town. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome town. Yeah. 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 I love it. So... All right, well, yeah. Boog, I've been very, uh, very generous with your time as always, and I, I could talk about this stuff all day with you. And I hope to see you soon. And um, yeah, get some rest, man. Spring. So, what do you do for? Do you do spring training games? Do you? I'll
3: do spring training games. I mean, I do. I'll do college basketball. So I do the Big Twelve and you know the Big Twelve tournament, and then you know transition into spring training stuff. And uh, yeah, and then you know still doing this Sundays on the radio, like half of them for. For that, And then this year, i gets get to call the World Series nationally, which will be cool. All right. So,
2: All right. Yeah. All right. It's going
1: to be a great year. Well, Boog, thanks so much. I appreciate it. You got it, Rob. My pleasure, man. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.